Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode 131. Today's episode is called Rediscover Your Play. Today I'm joined by Jeffrey Harry. Jeff is a play coach. He's worked with companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Adobe, and the NFL. He helps people to reconnect with a playful nature. So on today's episode, he talks a little bit about positive psychology. We talk a little bit about his story, how he became a play coach today. Not everybody, not every day you'll meet a play coach. And we just generally talk around this state, this way of being. Uh, this isn't, from speaking to Jeff, I, I get the sense that this isn't about positive thinking. This is more about getting in touch with that playful curiosity that can that we can lose over time as we become adults. It's important to tap back into that again. And I was impressed as well with the way Jeff also approaches the inner critic through his play coach, uh, play coaching. He, he addresses that, which I feel the inner critic is what stifles creativity. And I think somebody like Jeff can really help people to get outside your head and be creative. And that's where innovation will come from. So that's what we're discussing in today's episode. I enjoyed talking to Jeff. He's got a great energy about him. I had a few laughs as well. Uh, he's got a good energy about him. And yeah, so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again for listening. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure, man. So my first question is, who are you and what you do in the world today? Sure. So my name is Jeff Harry. I run an organization called Rediscover Your Play where we combine positive psychology and play to help teams like tackle some of their biggest issues. And when I'm not working with teams, then I work with individuals to help them rediscover who they are through play. I guess my first question there would be, how did you get into positive psychology? What drew, what drew you to that in the first place? So I've been doing stuff in the play world yeah, for a while. Like here, I'll just give you the brief background. So I don't know if did you ever see the movie Big when you were a kid? With Tom Hanks? I don't think I have, actually, no. Okay, well, it was just this movie about this kid that wished he was an adult. And when when he did that, he was able to work for a toy company. And I didn't know that you could work for toy companies. So I saw this movie in third grade, and I started writing toy companies in third grade. And I just kept writing them until... Uh, you know, until high school, college, and then until I actually got into the industry. And when I finally got there, I don't know if you've ever got into a place where you, you know, you get everything that you thought you wanted, and instead you're just so disappointed, you know, and I thought like the toy industry would be full of play and people high-fiving and, you know, kids everywhere and just like everyone is in such a good mood and Instead, it just felt like any company that was like selling microwaves. Um, And I remember leaving that organization in New York, coming to the Bay Area, finding another organization that was just seven nerdy people teaching kids engineering with Lego. um, And they were just playing for a living. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And um, I stayed with them and we helped, like we basically played our way to be able to build like one of the largest Lego inspired STEM organizations in the US. But we did it all by just playing and making it up as we went along. Like we just followed our bliss and our curiosity and we're like, we should pick this city because it's fun. We should not pick this city because it's super boring. We should pick this person because they're really, you know, adaptable and just playful. You know, we just like kind of just messed around and because it got so large, like we were teaching a hundred thousand kids a year 
a lot of Fortune 500 Silicon Valley companies started paying attention to us, like Facebook, Google, you know, um, Adobe. Um, and we started doing team building events with them. But I realized that at the same time that all these companies wanted to be collaborative and have connection and innovation, and all these buzzwords, they had not created a safe space for people to actually play. So I, you know, long story, got into positive psychology because I was already doing the play side, but I wanted to bring the science side to a lot of these companies and explain what's actually happening in your head you know, when you're actually in a state of play in a state of flow, because that's when you get the best work out of your staff. Mm. Also, as the positive psychology is like an extension into the adult world, uh, the science behind what you do. But um, when you create, how do you actually go about creating a safe space for adults to play? How do you go about implementing that in, in, uh, in practice? So when we're running workshops, you know, for companies, a lot of the workshops we run are ones where we're addressing like a really a tough issue that they have not wanted to talk about, right? So like dealing with toxicity at work, that toxic person at work, dealing with office politics, dealing with your inner critic, um, getting in a state of flow. So what we do a lot of times is we have like some engaging, playful, you know, nerdy thing we do at the beginning, just like a game. And we play a lot of these small, you know, games, role-playing games or whatever, just to get people out of their head. Like I even do one where I have two people, um, when we're in person, they, they have one minute to draw each other, right? And then they have to show each other and they feel super embarrassed because they're like, I don't know how to draw, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing, you know? And then I have them do it again, but I have them close their eyes. So they now are memorizing the person's face and then drawing it. And then I have them show it to each other and then they start laughing and then I go, why? was the second time so easy and they're like because i wasn't judging myself and it's like okay can you adopt that just for the next hour can we just be in that space where we're not going to like you know question or judge that oh is this the right thing to do or you know am i being an adult right here or do i feel like i can be silly around my colleagues let's just like have some fun get relaxed because the more we're able to put down our walls the more we're going to get out of this workshop and a lot of times people resonate with that okay so you're actually talking about serious issues that they haven't been able to go there but you're bringing in these playful activities and also highlighting the inner critic in those activities as well yeah okay like when it comes to, to play how did you did, how did you know that that was connected to innovation was it the companies that gave you an insight to that or how did you figure out that innovation was linked to play I mean, there's on top of the fact that there's so much research about this, right? Like, you know, one of the top strength thought leaders, Marcus Buckingham, talks about red thread work. It's the work that you've like, where you forget about time, right? It's you, the, your best work. Gay Hendricks refers to it as zone of genius. You know, um, the stuff that you do that is like truly you, right? Um, my business mentor, Stephen Worley, talks about wanting to get paid to be me like i want to get paid to be me so if you think about your best work that is what a lot of companies are trying to actually do google did their 20 percent uh challenge of you know like i don't know maybe it's 10 or 15 years ago where they would give their staff 
20% of their time to work on any project they want as long as it helped the company out, right? But they were able to pursue their curiosity and that's where Gmail was created. That's where Google Meet came about. Like by people simply playing and messing around with it. If you look at the startup founder community, right? When they were in their garages brainstorming like what app they were gonna create, they were just playing. They were just fooling around and being like, you know, can I, can we make a, you know, a way in which we can mail videos to people or maybe have them just watch it directly, you know? So while Netflix is like coming up with this crazy idea, Blockbuster is not playing, you know, and they're like, you know, we don't feel we need to change. And, and my play mentor, Kevin Carroll says this a lot of like your future is where your fun is, right? Whichever companies are having the most fun are the most adaptable, the most successful, the ones that are able to thrive even in 2020, while the ones that are not willing to adapt, that are not, or that are taking themselves too seriously, that are not willing to change are going to become the blockbuster of the future. Yeah, I get, I get it even as a programmer. I do find that when I'm in more of a, a curious state of mind or a state of mind where I'm excited to actually try and find a solution here, it makes it easier to find a solution than when I'm stuck in the actual problem. The one thing I want to uh, explore a bit here, though, is I think people get confused with like a, a toxic positivity mindset and a play just experiential embodiment. Sure. Can you explain sure. some of the difference there? Yeah, so first let me define play. So I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment, right? Where it has no purpose, it has no result, you're just fully falling in love with the process. And you know you're in play because you forget about time, right? Um, you don't have anxiety about the future and you don't have regrets about the past. And, and I assign play synonymous with the idea of flow. Um, and when you look at your, your, your brain, right, your prefrontal cortex, you know, typically a huge part of your prefrontal cortex is there to actually protect you. That's where your inner critic is. It's watching out for all these threats. But when you get actually from a beta state to a flow state, what's happening in your prefrontal cortex is um, something known as transient hypnofrontinality, where a part of your prefrontal cortex is actually shutting down. And then when, it, when that happens, um, your inner critic dissipates, your implicit mind starts to appear, you become highly more creative. You start seeing the world and more opportunities in front of you. You get this shot of dopamine and you become highly curious, right? And the biggest issue that a lot of adults have is we're so fixated on results, right? Um, and, you know, expectations are the thief of joy. And that's why so many people were disappointed with 2020 because they couldn't let go of the results that they thought they were gonna get from 2020. And if they were only able to let that go and allow themselves to get in a state of flow. Um, and Dr. Chick said, Mihai, a positive psychologist, talks about how flow is when the difficulty of the, of the task meets your skill level. So when you start a job first, you know, it's really hard because the difficulty is really hard, but you have no skills, so you have a lot of anxiety. But then when you've been doing the, ta the job for a really long time, then it actually gets kind of boring because you have a lot of skill, but you know, the challenge isn't that hard. But between anxiety and boredom is the flow state, that state where you're producing your best work. So like that's just a roundabout way of defining play and how it ties in with flow. As for toxic positivity, 
Toxic positivity is almost like a delusional state where you believe that, that you have to be happy all the time. And what positive psychology and how that's drastically different from toxic positivity, positive psychology is all about allowing all of the emotions for you to feel all of them you know, at the same time, right? It's very much like Pixar's Inside Out where you can feel anger, you know, frustration, and, you know, also feel a certain level of relief. You can feel joy and sadness. I always give the example of when my father passed away, four of his, bro all of his brothers showed up. His brothers hadn't seen each other in like 30 years. This was the first time they had seen each other since their mom died. And I was surrounded by all of them. And I'm at a funeral where I should be sad, but I'm feeling joy with all of them around me. And I was like, at, you know, I couldn't come to terms with that at first because I was like, I should be sad. I should be in grief. And it was like, wait a minute, I can feel joy for having my family around and be in grief and be in sadness and be grateful. And I can feel all of that at the same time because that's a more complex, more um, fulfilling way to lead, live than to see the world in such a black and white sort of way. Is that the first time you noticed that you could feel those feelings all at once? I think it was maybe that funeral. I mean, where, I, mm. where it was so stark. I mm. probably felt that before, but it was there where I was, where I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm feeling this and I feel guilty about that. But once I, was a, once I gave myself the grace and compassion to be like, feel your feels, you know? Positive psychology talks a lot about like allowing the whole feeling to, to go through. You feel disappointment, let yourself feel disappointment. But then at some point you gotta let it go. And what our brains do really well is we, we're great at ruminating. Mm. So when someone thinks about, oh, I had a bad day, I actually challenge that, you know? I say, no, what I think you had was you had a bad moment. But thoughts usually last between nine seconds and 90 seconds, nine seconds and 90 seconds, right? So you played that bad moment in your head over and over and over again, like a hundred times. And then you primed your mind to look for all these other bad moments throughout the day. Now, we, the flip side of this is my friend Desiree taught me this. If you ask the question, it's just a question she asks herself all the time. When something good happens, she asks, how can it get any better than this? And she asks that from a curious state, like, right? Like this morning I woke up, ooh, I made this cool video. How can it get any better than this? Ooh, what, now we're talking. Oh, this is awesome. How can it get any better than this? Ooh, after this, I'm gonna make this really fun video for this organization. And they're gonna actually pay me to make this fun video. How can it get any better than this? And you just start stacking all of these positive priming moments and your brain starts to look for that pattern throughout the rest of your day. And that's how you can have a good day. You remember when you started doing that, priming your mind like that in the conscious way? Um, I did that when she brought up that question. And I think that was like maybe two, three years ago. And, and, you know, a lot of times I forget to do it, but we do it a lot when we travel. Like the play-oriented mindset's very similar to our travel-oriented mindset. So if, you, if we can remember when we were traveling, right? It seems so long ago. We were just, you're just so much more open to saying yes, right? You're such in a more curious state. You're like, oh, let me try this. Oh, let me try that. Let me hop on this moped with this random stranger. Oh, you're going to this island? Sweet, I'll go to the island with you. And then all of a sudden you're at a party and you're like, you know, under the moon. And you're like, how in the world did I get here? You know, like the, when you're open to this world of being able, 
being able to say yes and as as improvers do so well you're able to then just find all of these adventures that you couldn't see before and what a lot of adults do which robs them of their joy is they're so fixated on getting this one thing i need to have this one result that you ignore all of the other possibilities in the world do you find it difficult to get people and companies to buy into doing something without a specific result coming from it? Uh, yes, absolutely. No, they, they, they hate, companies hate talking about play, but mm. they do love talking about flow and they do love figuring out how to get the best out of their staff. And I was just answering this on an interview recently where they were like, well, what do we do to engage our staff more? Is there a way we can engage them more, you know, in a playful way? And it's just, you know, when was the last time you called your staff just to see how they're doing? You know, what, what are your meetings like right now? Are they meetings where you are coming with a certain level of compassion because they can't be as productive as they were, you know, when they were in the office? Are your meetings leave, are you finishing your meetings where people are leaving energized and they feel like you actually care? Or are you doing what a lot of companies are doing right now where they're constricting more, they're contacting their employees less, they're not sharing information. So if your company's in a financial predicament, you're not telling anybody this, which is then not helping. And then you're at meetings and you're like, just trying to tell people what to do. Meanwhile, they feel so disengaged that they're looking for other jobs while in the meeting with you at home. So you have to think about like, what am I doing as a team leader to show that, we, that I actually care and that I actually also want to help my staff get into a more flow state. Like I encourage a lot of leaders to go to their staff and be like, what is the work that you do best? What, do you, what, is, what is the work that you love to do best at this job? Okay, right now, what percentage of the time do you spend doing this work? Oh, 5%, 5% of the time you spend, you know, I don't know, writing blog posts or creating videos for this or connecting with other people, you know, how can we increase that 5% to like six or seven, right? Like your episode about Kaizen, like how do we just improve it just a little bit? Because they studies have found when you're able to get someone in more of a flow state, just a little bit more, maybe only an hour more a week, it actually dramatically affects the rest of their work. They do all of their work in a much more efficient period of time and they're much more fulfilled, which then will prevent them from uh, thinking about leaving. What I kind of get from this is that a lot of this is about the energy. Like you're coming from very curious energy, they are playful energy. That's not something you can rigidly think about. And I think that's what companies often do. They'll rigidly go about what's the answer? Well, how do we do this? And yep. then they, it ruins the whole thing. So how do we get companies to switch that mindset to more curiosity driven and actual engaging on an energetic and feeling level? Well, it's interesting, right? Um, my, my friend Angie Cole, who's a phenomenal coach, talks about um, you know, masculine and feminine leadership. And, and someone can be in their masculine, someone can be in their feminine. And usually masculine leadership looks very results driven. It's very to-do list. It's very like, let's slay the dragon. We gotta destroy our competitors. It's very like, oh, you know, we got to do this and we're going to get this done and we cross it off and then we get the next thing done and we cross it off. While feminine leadership, you know, is much more playful. It's much more organic. It's much more adaptable. If you look at um, the New Zealand prime minister, 
you know. Um, she's the one that has been able to handle COVID better than any other country on the planet. And it's because she's been able to adapt. She's been able to like work with her, with her, um, not only her government, but with, with the community, you know, with her constituents or citizens and be like, hey, we're figuring this out together. Hey, we're gonna have to lock down, but like, we're in this together. I, let me communicate how I care about you and how I'm not trying to destroy your business by doing this, but I'm just watching out for you. And because of that, that they've been more successful, you know? And if you look at the companies that are much more adaptable, they are owning more of their feminine leadership you know, right? They're owning more of that adaptability and being more open. And if you're going to stay rigid, you're going to become obsolete. You know, you just can't do it that way. You, and what's funny is so many companies are trying to get back to normal, but there is no new norm. There's no normal. It's going to be a new normal. You're not going to get back to the regular way. And frankly, a lot of your employees didn't enjoy that way anyway, you know? Um, I, I talk about this a lot too, of like the whole idea of the 40 hour work week, the eight hour day is a social construct created by, um, you know, Henry Ford back in like, I think the 1920s or thirties, where he thought about eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of sleep, of sleep. Why are we still operating that way? You know, a lot of studies have shown that, that you do, only good work for maybe two hours and 54 minutes out of an eight hour day. So now you're gonna force people to like be at their job for five more hours. You're gonna have them on Zoom calls and make up meeting, you know, like even the media, if you think of a meeting, a meeting is an hour long. Why is it an hour long? Because of some like person that made it an hour long on some calendar once and they were like, yeah, all meetings now have to be an hour. No, they don't have to be. They could be 12 minutes. Like you have to be thinking from like an adaptable standpoint where you care about individuals, you know? And that's what I don't get is like, people are like, well, I, we got to make as much money as possible. And we got to get as much ROI and squeeze as much out of our employees. But if you just simply cared and invested more in your employees, you would do your best work and you would get, you would make more money and everyone would be happier. Yeah, I agree there with the, I think it's encouraging us to have more shallow work when you're extending it unnecessarily. And there's also no incentive either. If you're going to work eight hours anyway, you're just going to get more work if you finish your work early. So it's, right. there's no real, real incentive there to innovate and do things differently and think differently about things. No, because you have to be there anyway, which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a great energy yet. Yeah. Um, were you always like this? And you always have, were you always in touch with your feelings? Because like what I sense from you is that you're, you're able to get into the play state because as well, you're not resisting the negative states. You're not resisting the, the grief you go through in life and the natural emotions that come up day to day. Were you always like that? Or is that something that you learned I, over time? I think so. I mean, I was raised, you know, I had two older sisters, you know, so obviously, you know, I learned a lot more from them. So maybe I took on more like, you know, feminine, like energy and feminine leadership, you know, and, and I definitely have felt more of like empathy for people. But, you know, the reality of 2020, if anything that has taught us is that, you know, no one knows what they're doing. No one has ever known what they're doing. We're all making it up as we go along, right? But the veil of uncertainty was just lifted, you know, all, you know, and, and anyone that is, you know, 
I don't mind people giving advice. I give advice as well, but I always give advice in a way of like, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what has worked for the clients that I work with, but it might work for you or it might not. I don't know, but we can test it out, right? So if it resonates with you, great. If not, ignore it. But when I keep hearing people being like, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to pivot during the pandemic, you know, I just want to go up to them and be like, were, were you around in 1918? Like, were you running a business back hundred years ago? Because if not, you need to shut up. You just need to shut up right now because you don't know what you're talking about either. Like none of us know what we're doing. We're all just making it up as we go along. And if there's one thing I learned from my business, the first business that I was able to grow is that, you know, you don't have to know. You just kind of follow follow your bliss and you follow your curiosity and you fail a lot, you know, and you just keep iterating and you keep repeating yourself, Kaizen, Kaizen, small wins, small progress every day. That's all I need to do. Just, you know, one push-up one day, two push-ups the next day, whatever it is, like just stop beating ourselves up and just simply have more compassion for ourselves and give credit and, and double down on our strengths, you know, and then you can get into a state where you can create some really dope stuff. I think, and this kind of ties in maybe with the inner critic stuff, um, is we're spending so much of our time beating ourselves up, you know, and just being mean to ourselves, and we really don't have to be. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, that's why a journal try and bring a bring some light to that inner critic because I, I think it's because it's unconscious. A lot of us aren't even aware how critical we are on ourselves. And the, right, it's interesting what you said there about the the normal. Because what annoys me is people saying the new normal, they're already trying to define something, whereas they could use the opportunity to redefine everything. So doing the opposite. Right. Uh, and they're really doing that because they're, <laughs> the reason why they're doing that is they're scared. They're trying yeah. to figure out what's next. When frankly, there is no one knows what's next. Hmm. Is there anything you do to ground yourself to keep you in the moment, like meditation or anything like that? Um, well, I, I, I do meditation, but, um, more so what I love to do that, that grounds me is I play to start my day. I do something ridiculous. So like, I'll like make a TikTok, you know, video to start my day. And it, it has no, it has no ROI. It's not productive at all. Most of my videos are really stupid. Maybe it's me dancing in a costume, whatever it is, but it makes me happy. And when I do that, it brings me fulfillment and joy. And when I do that, it primes my day. And then I start to see everything as play. Like this conversation we're having right now is super playful for me. I'm like, this is so cool. I get to talk to Dennis. This is awesome. You know, yeah. this guy interviewed Seth Godin. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Like, I'm like ant, man. Like, this is fun for me. So, you know, playing and getting grounded of like, if you look at any kid, right? Most kids are not like, like, overthinking stuff they go to the playground they run in the playground someone's playing tag they're like hey what are you what are you guys doing you're playing tag and they just start playing tag right and then when they don't want to play tag anymore they're like all right see you later they don't even introduce themselves they don't even introduce each other's names they do their thing and then they go and play something else oh, okay now we're playing lava oh the floor is lava great you know and they're just hopping from the thing to thing meanwhile us adults or if we were at the playground, we'd be like, well, should I play lava or should I play tag? I don't know which one I should play. Oh my gosh, now I can't play any of them. Oh, the time is running out. Oh, I'm stressed out. And it's just like, dude, just relax, you know? So, so, and this kind of ties in with like, well, how do we get, you know, um, adults in a play state? And 
a play mentor of mine, um, Gwen Gordon, talks about how you can't play until you soothe yourself, until you learn how to soothe and calm yourself down. Um, and you learn how to soothe yourself from the person that nurtured you the most. You actually adopt their way of nurturing. So if they had problems calming themselves down, then you might have those same issues. So you have to figure out, okay, what calms me? Maybe it is meditation. Maybe it's taking a shower and that's where you, why you have so many of your greatest thoughts there. Maybe it's like going on walks or, you know, I have a basketball hoop, whatever the weird thing, some active thing that you do that gets you into a calm state. Um, and then from there, I challenge people to then get bored. And what I mean by that is like, shut off social media, stop binge watching Netflix. And I'm not saying forever, I'm saying for like an hour, two hours, just, just stop, just for a little bit. And just sit there or whatever you're doing, just walk or whatever and get bored and then start listening to that inner child who's whispering, you know, something to you because they're whispering some cool, exciting thing that you might want to explore. Like they might be like, start that podcast, create that video, write that person you've always wanted to write, apply to that job, you know, like whatever that thing that you've been wanting to do, put on that costume and just walk around your house. Like what, whatever ridiculous thing. And you just, and you follow that curiosity and see where that takes you. And if it's fun, keep doing it. And if it's not fun anymore, do something else. But let's get into that more of that fun flow state instead of like binge watching our way through life. Why do you think so so much of us struggle with boredom? Is it is it the dopamine hits, or is it that is it, are we even scared of to actually listen to our in our voice? I think it's a combination of definitely being scared of hearing because you're scared of what that might say to you. It might it might say something that's really exciting. It might remind you that you've been trying to impress people for a really long period of time. Viola Davis says this. Um, you either, you know, with every choice you make, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And when you're chasing your worth, you're constantly thinking about others, not others in the compassionate way, but more like, what does this person think of me? Oh, how am I going to impress this person? And frankly, I always ask this, who are you trying to impress? And if you're, and if you don't, if you won't care about that person in a year, then stop trying to impress them. Because if you think about all the people in high school you try to impress, you don't even think about them anymore. You don't think about those people in college or your last job, you know, and anyone that, that loves you, you won't need to try to impress them because they love you anyway, you know. But then I also say to people, um, to also have compassion for yourself as you're figuring out how to play because this is what you're up against. When, when adults ask me, why do adults not play enough? I always say 148,000 no's. And what I mean by that is, is you know, this one professor found um, that kids will hear the word no 148,000 times by the time they're 18. So you're hearing that all the time. No, no to you. Don't show up. Don't show up fully. And then on top of that, you're should on all the time by parents. You're should on all the time by teachers. You go to school where you're asked to raise your hand and ask for permission. You get to high school and then you have to deal with social media that's constantly telling you to emulate someone else and not be you and keeps telling you that you're not enough. And then, you know, 
all of that is happening and so much noise is is like getting fed into your ears like what did what did i read someone in the 1950s the amount of information they got in a year we get in a day we get that in a day so all of this noise is happening no wonder you can't hear your inner child no wonder you can't hear your inner curiosity so it's such a rebellious act to actually embrace your weird and embrace your nerdiness and to like start a podcast because or anything like that because it's just it's not normal everyone's telling me to be normal and you're like i don't want to be normal you know how many times you know dennis have people told you like you know, you're, you're too much or you're, you're too mischievous or why are you doing that? So weird. It's just like, what are you talking about? Like, why can't I be me? Mm, that's it. The other thing I like about you when I was doing my research into you was that you opted out of the cool phase of school quite early on, didn't you? So how, what did you learn from doing that? Not wanting to be the cool kid? Oh, I, well, I mean, you know, I won't share the whole story. I mean, you, you, can, you can see the story, you know, on YouTube, but I, I share a story of, of how I tried to be cool. And by doing that, I let, I let go of who I was. Like I abandoned who I was. Um, and it was so shaming to like let go of who I was that I, you know, I had now finally gotten approval of the cool kids but I didn't know who I was anymore. If you know, if you you know, if you feel that, or your listeners resonate with that, where you're like, yeah, I got their acceptance, but I don't even like these people. Why did I try to impress them in the first place, right? So I remember going from that state and feeling so lonely, even though now I was accepted, to going into my basement and being like, no, I'm just gonna like make up my own games. And I would just make up games in my basement in high school. And my friends would find out and they'd be like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just making up games. And, you know, and they realized that was a safe space where they didn't have to be cool, where they didn't have to impress anyone. And then more and more of my friends started coming to hang out. And frankly, what's ironic is what I did in my basement is what I do now. I create this safe space where people can like actually play and be themselves. You know, it's just so hard for us to be ourselves these days because everyone's telling us not to be, but deep in our heart, we know that's the answer. Yeah, I think it's, yes, to be yourself. It takes quite a while to unravel that to actually to be yourself and to know yourself. It, it, does, yourself. it does, and what's challenging is, you know, you think about the question of, I'm sure you've asked this question to so many people, you know, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Like, whether that's what do you want in a job? What do you want in a relationship? What do you want in your life? And most people cannot answer this basic question. And the reason why is because there's so much noise and so many people telling them what they should want that they've forgotten what they really want. And like, that is the challenge that we all have to figure out is like, what actually drives us? What actually makes us come alive? And and a challenge that I put to a lot of my clients and your listeners can do this is if you've forgotten who you are, you know, you can do this uh, experiment with your friends and family, reach out to three to five of your friends or family, people that you're closest with and ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? Like, why are we friends? Like, what do I do for you? right? Because a lot of times we don't even know what we do for other people. So what value do I bring to your life? And then the second question I, I'd ask my friends is, 
when have you seen me most alive? Like, when have you seen me most joyful, most playful, most present, you know, just, ha just fully there, right? And when you ask that question, what value did I bring? And when have you seen me most alive? The answers that you get back will just amaze you. And you'll start to see patterns when you, because you'll get different perspectives from people and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's crazy. You know, I did this experiment and that's how I got the name of my company, Rediscover Your Play, because people literally said to me, they were like, yeah, you like help give me permission to be, you know, my silly self. Like you helped me rediscover uh, how to play again. And I kept hearing it over and over again. And I was like, rediscover your play. That's it. So it's exciting what you can do when you're willing to ask those questions. And, and find out. And then you can, the best part is after you do that, then you can ask your friends, can you help me get back into that playful state? Collaborative. And uh, four types of play. I found that quite interesting. I think I read in your, it was in your article, I think, four types of play. play um, I think it was in the New York Times article, yeah. Yeah, or was that yours or was that? Yeah, because I found it quite interesting because what I found in my life is that sometimes I wouldn't be drawn to a certain thing that I thought I should like, like karaoke or something where I felt a bit right. like I didn't really want to do that. And I felt maybe I'm just a killjoy. But in that article, they covered like four different play types that, that yeah, would make yeah. sense that like... Which one was mean. yours? I think it was like more the intellectual play. Like I like... Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I like like just... So, so I... I, I I, it wasn't me that referenced that the four types of play, someone else did, but just okay. some of those types included exploratory play. Those are the people like myself that love to like put their hand on the stove to see if it's hot. There's problem solving type play, like what you said, right? Where mm. it's a challenge and you got to figure it out, right? Yeah, like and then there's like a more affirmation type of play, like where you like to make something and you'd be like, hey, look at the, look world, look what I have created, you know, for, for you, right? It's more of a creation type of play. I forgot what the last one is, but you know, there's no wrong way to play. And I think a lot of times we think this is play and this is not play. Remember again, what my definition was, any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment. That could be reading, that could be you walking, that could be you writing, that could be you creating this podcast. It can be anything, you know, that brings you fully present in the moment where you forget about time. And if you love doing that, if you simply do more of that, not only will it bring you more fulfillment, but in my opinion, and in my, in my um, experience, it also will provide you a lot of the answers that you've been looking for. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that because um, when I was thinking about play before like that, it was more about like certain people are playful types and certain people aren't playful types. When you tap right. into more the joy in the states and what brings you alive and stuff, it's universal then, which I like. Yeah, that. And, and, and you bring up a good point because I remember um, uh, working with a lawyer and I remember talking to this lawyer and this lawyer was like, I don't play. I don't play at all. And I was like, okay, well, what do you do? And she said... Um, well, you know, what do you do as a lawyer? And she goes, well, I mediate and I help bring people together that hate each other and I help them find a compromise. And I was like, well, tell me more. And as she was telling me more, she was lighting up. And it was like, that's your play, you know? So like, don't, again, don't uh, dismiss something that you really enjoy, even if the rest of the world doesn't like it. Who cares what the rest of the world likes? What do you like? Yeah. I guess it comes back again to the, if now our time to define our own normal. 
uh-huh. play is another thing. So yeah, I enjoyed talking to you today, uh, Jeff. Where will people Absolutely. find you if they wanted to work with you or what do you do? Absolutely. They can find me at a rediscoveryourplay.com and they simply just go to the website, click on the let's play button and let's have a conversation and I can help you rediscover who you are again through play. Perfect. Cool. Thanks again for taking your time out today, Jeff, and talking to us about play. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.